Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, everybody, again, and welcome back to Girl Presses Play. We have been getting through quite a bit of superhero film history this season, and we're almost at the finish line, and I really appreciate how much you guys have been sticking with me this whole season. One might say, you are the superheroes of this podcast, but don't Okay, dad jokes aside, as we're moving through superhero film history, we are getting to the first film I'm actually old enough to remember being in theaters, and I remember very, very fondly. I remember going to the theater with my sisters. I think I went and saw it with my older and younger sister, and there was the packed theaters, there were the gasps when Spidey swung through the air, and it actually looked good, and of course, I'd be remiss remiss without mentioning the iconic Nickelback song. I will probably get many comments about that, but I will die on that hill. As you can tell, I am getting very nostalgic about this film and when it came out, so I thought it was appropriate to talk to the head of programming at a place I'm very nostalgic about. That is Noah Elgart of Marinick Cinemas, the theater I grew up and saw many a film at. So we're going to chat with him about why this film is so important and also so fondly remembered as we take a look at 2002 Spider-Man, directed by Sam Raimi. After closing its doors in April of 2014, the new and improved Mamaronic Cinemas has opened as a part of a family of independently run theaters in New York. They boast eight auditoriums with luxury reclining seats, state-of-the-art laser projectors, and Dolby Digital surround sound to give audience members the best film viewing experience around. Noah Elgart, who works at the theater as its general manager, has been in the film industry for basically his entire life starting out in the concession stand, serving customers popcorn on a footstool, which is a very adorable thing to visualize, (laughs) to managing the projectors, and finally, managing their newest luxury movie theater. Growing up in the film exhibition world, he's always loved the particularly magical way that sounds and pictures come together to emotionally resonate with audiences from all walks of life. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big warm welcome to the show, Noah Elgart. Thank you so, so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know business is booming over at Mamaronic Cinemas because people are really, really pumped that we have a theater on the avenue again. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. So to warm up our brains a little bit and take a trip back to yesteryear, when was the first time that you saw Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? And do you have any like particular memories about seeing that movie or about that movie? Yes, actually, I do remember my first time watching it, which was in Cabo Hill Cinemas. And I was younger, and the film was like larger than life, and the graphics and storyline was relating to my life as well, since I was, you know, riding the yellow bus to school, making sure I was mm-hmm. on time, running for the bus, things like this were relation to my current life. But I also remember 
at the barbershop getting the bootleg DVD of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. And I remember them spelling Tobey Maguire's name wrong. And, you know, it was like one of the first times I did get a DVD like that. And it was really like mind shattering that they have these copies of the films that are currently right, in the theater. Right, right. No, I totally feel you. Did you ever see movies at the New Rock Cinema over in New Rochelle by any chance? No, I have not. Okay, because that's where I saw Spider-Man. And I remember, I don't think I had ever been in that packed of a theater before because I hadn't really seen a lot of like non-kids films before then, if you will. It was really one of my first PG-13 movies, which was super exciting. And I just remember that feeling of being in a packed theater where everyone's super excited about seeing this movie and everyone's very much along for the ride. And just like you said, you know, Spider-Man swinging to the Empire State Building and, you know, scooping up Kirsten Dunst and swinging her through the air to save her from the Green Goblin. Obviously, there had been superhero movies before that, but I think that was one of the first times we had really felt the scale of what it means to fly through the air and jump through buildings. For sure. It was larger than life. And also, I grew up in Queens, so to me, like, the storyline, you know, this film blended off-screen and on-screen life together. So it was like a fifth sense, sixth sense, seventh sense incorporated into this. It was really incredible. So it was like, wow, I mean, one of my friends could be Spider-Man. This is pretty cool. You know, it's funny. I know a couple of folks from Queens and they all say the exact same thing about why Spider-Man is their favorite and why they also love Sam Raimi's Spider-Man because it very much feels like he's a New York kid growing up in Queens and he works at like the local pizza shop and he and five other people run to grab the yellow us. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of folks that grew up in Queens or like, you know, one of the five boroughs is that it very much felt like a story about a New York kid becoming a superhero for the first time. So that's very interesting that you bring that up as well. This is movie magic, you know, like you and I watch the same film, but connect the scenes differently. Yeah. And I think that's one of the great things about it is that there is such a common experience with superhero movies, but there can also be such a different experience with superhero movies. I think of, um, What's the film I was talking about the other day with my boyfriend? Oh, we were talking about um, the Richard Donner Superman because for this season of the podcast, and I know this sounds like sacrilegious, but I had finally seen the Richard Donner <laughs> Superman <laughs> at 30 years old for the show. And I related to the scene where, mild spoiler, but when Lois Lane dies in like that, she gets fallen into like the crevice and her car gets crushed and Superman literally turns back time to try and save her, even though he's not supposed to do that. He loved more of like the quippy Gene Hackman, Lex Luthor stuff, but I was so much more about the very human aspect of Clark Kent and how much he made mistakes because he loved people. So I do think that's an interesting aspect that even though people love the movie for the same reasons, they also love the movie for like very, very different reasons. That's a beautiful moment. Oh, absolutely beautiful. I cry every time I watch it now because I've watched cool it a couple of times since. It is very cool. And it's interesting because... um one thing I think about is how there weren't just comic book movies that came out a few years before Spider-Man, but there were pretty notable and pretty successful ones. So earlier in the season, we talked about Blade with Wesley Snipes and, of course, the X-Men movies with Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman. Those were all like pretty sizable comic book movies that were very popular and also very well reviewed. But what do you think made Sam They Raimi's... hold up the time. You know what? They do. Even like we were talking about um, early CGI or early 2000 CGI a little while ago. And 
even like some of the not so great CGI shots and blades still don't look terrible, if that makes sense. You're like, yeah, it looks like pretty good. You know, you consider that it's 20 years old, but it still looks like pretty good. So wrapped up in the story, you don't pick it apart like yeah. that. It's, it's just well-developed. Exactly. And I think that goes for... Thought, in my, this is only my opinion. Oh, no, I totally agree. And I think of all those, I'm totally blanking on his name, but that very famous director that used a lot of claymation figures in his like Flash of the Titans and King Kong and all those old movies where it's clearly some sort of, you know, they filmed a claymation figure on a green screen and then they superimposed it onto the film where the actor was waving a sword at nothing. And yet it still looks somewhat good. And I think that's a big part of it is that you're kind of wrapped up in the story. And unless you're one of those film people, we all know those film people, you're not going like, Oh, I can see the string. Oh, like there's a little bit of like green screen reflection yeah. on this. Like you'd never want Terrible. to watch a movie with those <laughs> take, people. Take, it, take the two hours off and just enjoy yourself. It's a lot. It's um, But that is also some person that has like a very close eye to detail. So I understand their perspective on it. But at the same time, like it's meant to be enjoyed, you know, and I agree. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I'm totally guilty of that sometimes being like, oh, that edit was a little too soon, or I think I can hear like a helicopter in the background. But sometimes I just have to say, Alana, calm down, take a deep breath, watch yeah. the, just watch the movie. Yeah, let the moment pass. This is a lifelong lesson as a human, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're always relearning to just watch the movie, which I think is also a bigger metaphor for life. But, um, you know, I've been trying to rack my brain about what made Spider-Man such a watershed moment in terms of superhero films in the way that, for example, a couple of years later, like Iron Man was such a huge watershed moment. And maybe because I was a little young when it came out, I was like 12, I think. I couldn't remember, you know, the more adult nuances of you know pop culture at that time so i'd love to get your opinion on what you think made spider-man the movie that it is and kind of the big watershed moment that it was well you know my perspective on it was because with my group of friends and cinema going you know community was that it was such a new york movie a new york superhero so for us to see all the places that we've walked by on the big screen made us feel very special it made our ordinary lives feel very special and like we sometimes take it for granted and we don't appreciate it on the scale that it actually is so it kind of washed our eyes and let us see it all brand new so that on our small scale made it feel so big and then in terms of like major popular box office i just think that superhero movies were just building then the excitement was just building, like mm. you talked on Blade and you talked yeah. on X-Men. And it was like comic books were a major hit, like for my brother who's older than me. Like I remember him having stacked comic books and like to see those pages come alive on the screen, off the pages and out of your mind onto a screen was like starting to be very popular. All those comic book heads were like really into it. And to see like cameos from Stan Lee, the person that created these books, and it was just beautiful. And I think that's what created this experience, at least in New York, for sure. And New York is a, a center for culture. So what we kind of absorb and favor, I believe, spreads across the country. So maybe it was just our attraction to it from seeing our local sites like that. That's how I feel. That's why it was a watershed moment, at least for me. That's very interesting what you bring up about it being a very New York movie, because it also brings up the idea that, for example, Superman takes place in a New York City-esque version of Metropolis, but then we also get a lot of the first half of the movie on Krypton. 
X-Men takes place in a really like fancy private school that no one could ever dream of getting into. Blade takes place in this very kind of underworld environment. And unless I'm totally Batman with Gotham. Yeah, Batman with Gotham. And again, he lives in like this giant cave and like, you know, a mansion that no one could ever dream of affording in their entire lives. So it really was one of the first times on film you saw just like a regular kid like you said, like walking by the pizza shop that you from go Queens. by every day from Queens, like talking to his neighbor and his best friend over like the chain link fence that separates their houses. Like it was probably one living of the first with his times. grandparents. Exactly. Yeah. Like going to school like everybody else. And I think like that is a really big part of it was just having a very grounded, specific location that even if you've never been to New York or you live in Chicago or Austin or, you know, what are the other major cities of the u.s you do relate to it because you're like oh it's a city kid like it's a city kid just you know trying to find his way through the world in a way that you know when you see bruce wayne like leaving his literally apartment-sized bedroom being like i gotta go save crime it's a little bit like there's a remove you know without a doubt also you know there's times where like he went to go wrestle in the movie this was a major climactic point because is grandfather got killed by the person he let go into the elevator shaft because you know he got wronged in terms of finance from the Mm -hmm. promoter and like i think that was also relatable like people realize like you know you try to do good and then like you see like the repercussions of it i think a lot of people in new york city experienced that and that was relatable yeah and that's another element too is how close the family is or i should rephrase is how close you get to the superheroes family as opposed to Superman and Batman and Blade and even some of the more esoteric ones like The Shadow, for example, you don't really ever get a sense of what their family is and who really means something to them unless there's like a love interest popped in there or something. And I think just having his Aunt May and Uncle Ben and, you know, his best friend, the James Franco character growing up, Harry, that's his name, Harry, you know, there's definitely like a family unit of superheroes in a way that I don't really think we saw again I would say until Wonder Woman honestly because you spend so much time with her mom and her aunts and really get a sense of like what they mean to her I feel like it was one of the first times that you saw a family unit and what someone would do to protect their family after their family's been attacked in that way with major character development yeah exactly you see that you know major character development on screen in a very kind of relatable way because it is about family it's not just like i fell into a vat of nuclear waste or something like that which is you know kids bring along their parents and you know a lot of audiences probably appreciated different parts of that film yeah i think that's a very good point too is how many different tones it hits successfully there's that classic sam raimi comedy i think of you know like the wrestling scene with the bruce campbell cameo and he gets the name wrong and he just pushes him out to the theater and when the macho man is there waiting for him oh yeah the macho Macho Man is absolutely absurd. But then, you know, 10 minutes later, you're hysterically crying over Uncle Ben dying. Uh, What a ride. It's honestly like quite a ride even today. And what I do think is interesting is this is a Marvel movie, but it's also kind of a pre-MCU movie, a pre-Kevin Feige comes in and streamlines everything and makes sure everything has 
a distinctive tone and style, which I do think is great considering how many movies and TV shows there are, you know, you want them to all feel cohesive. But I think this movie is very much Sam Raimi's directing style. And I wonder why you also think that most comic book movies have become a little bit more of like a unified whole rather than just these very individual stories that have very distinct individual flavors. And also so polished. You know, the new films are such a polished product. I personally like the experience I had watching this film because it wasn't so perfect. I mean, it was perfect, but it, it wasn't so, like the color wasn't so incredible and the scenes weren't like the cgi wasn't so perfect like it was just it felt like a real movie you know and the new ones feel sometimes just like heavily enhanced not byproduct but like it took the film and then like whatever happened like there was no imperfection and that's not filmmaking like we all know that it takes a lot of effort and challenge has to be overcome while making a film and i like seeing that i'm this is my perspective from you know working inside the film Mm -hmm. and working inside the theater I like seeing that it was made by human hands and, you know, we're, we're imperfect, just like the characters on the screen. So I, I don't know. I enjoyed that part better, but also I grew up in a different generation mm-hmm. and the Marvel universe wasn't what it is. It wasn't what it was, what it is now, you know? It's very interesting because one movie you just made me think of, which is a more recent MCU movie, is uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And because Shang-Chi doesn't necessarily have a superpower, but he's really amazing at fighting, there's really no not as much CGI until I would say the third act when they travel to this very far off land. But I think that's one of the reasons I really liked that movie more than a lot of the like recent MCU movies. Not that I like strongly disliked a lot of MCU movies. There's really not a bad one in the bunch. But I think I related to Shang-Chi a lot more because since it didn't rely on a, a lot of special effects for the main superhero's power, there was just a lot of really cool, really well choreographed action scenes and a lot of stuff about family and our bond with family and our broken bonds with family and it felt you could kind of feel the humans behind the camera making choices you know and it was beautiful some of the scenery was beautiful oh yeah I mean I think it definitely got more CGI'd when like again to just mildly spoil it there's like a lot of magical creatures that come into play and there's a dragon involved but before yeah but before that it's all just like action sequences and a lot of character work which is what I think is very much on screen is in Spider-Man is a lot of like character pathos especially with Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin and a lot of just connecting with characters and there's really not a lot of like not that there's not a lot of Spider-Man flying through the air but it's not all Spider-Man flying through the air if that makes sense. No, and he also still gets defeated in his personal life heavily. So, you know, while he is a super powered human, he is still a human. It's it's a it's a beautiful experience to, to see. Yeah, he's still a human. And I think this is a little more apparent in the MCU version of Spider-Man, but he's still a kid. You know, I know Tobey Maguire is obviously in like his mid-20s when he made the film, but, you know, he and Mary Jane Watson and Harry Osborn, they're all still kids when all of this happens. So I think there's plenty of room for mistakes and you know awkward interactions and learning from all those mistakes and awkward interactions which I think is really the meat of the film is him learning how to be the person he wants to be this is the lesson that he learns from his grandfather in the car exactly exactly which has been now put on every mug 
every motivational poster, (laughs) pretty much anything you can slap like a quote on, you know, with great power comes great responsibility has been put on it. Yeah. And they said it so many times in that story that you you have it imprinted. I know you're kind of like, okay, I get it. Great power, great responsibility. I get the spiel. Like, do I really get it though? (laughs) Exactly. Do I really get it? This is kind of a hot take question. Please take some time. Feel free to think about it. So All right, bring it. do you think this is the best on-screen version of Spider-Man? Why or why not? Well, I'm an optimistic, positive person. So I have to lay that out there before <laughs> I uh, get into it. But... <laughs> because like I can find the beauty in almost anything. It's uh it's a great Okay, I like I like that. I, I like that. I mean the film was beautiful and it captured a time, a moment in time. So I can't I can't drag it, you know, through the mud. Mm-hmm. And I'm not overly critical because I had a great time watching it. But um, with that being said, there's different attributes to the other Spider-Man that are really impressive. Like the grossing, the gross revenue on this last Spider-Man was incredible. Oh, my like, God. It was insane. All these people come out. So like from a exhibitor side of things, bravo. You know, really mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. bring all these people out to the cinema, especially with COVID and everything, it was a great accomplishment. So that, that has to definitely be credited. The animated one? Uh, into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. How cool was that? I uh, coming out saying, you know, I don't have 3D glasses. The film was playing wrong. Like, it was such a cool experience. No one's seen things like this animation. I remember it opening up saying, like, White Avenue. So, like, it already took, you know, we have one cinema in Williamsburg where I've spent a lot of my time over the past 13 years. And I see the White Avenue. We're playing it in the theater. Little kids are coming in and it just felt like, you know, they break the fifth wall, I believe, in the theater. This felt like the whole element like broke, you know, like there Mm -hmm. was no line between the cinema and the outside. I like that one. I thought it was innovative and I thought the animation was something like I never saw before. Yeah, I remember seeing that just on an off chance. I forget why I had a random night where some plans or a meeting or something got canceled And a couple of my filmmaker friends said, you have to see this movie. Like, right. Like it's animated. It's not super long. I might as well. And that scene where he jumps from the building and then the like city skyline starts curving with the music playing was like, what is going on? Like, it's just kind of mind blowing what they were able to put on screen. And I do wonder if that script started out as like a live action film and they just thought, you know what, in order to be able to actually put what we want to put on screen we're going to have to animate it but no I remember like that collective feeling in the theater just being like whoa like they broke a fifth dimension or something it was just incredible how much fun is that something new it was so fun and I think you bring up a good point that all of the different iterations of Spider-Man have very different strengths to them like I've heard a lot about how the Mark Webb version with Andrew Garfield is a lot closer to the lore of the comics but the Sam Raimi one is the one that started it all and there are a lot of people who just really really love Tom Holland's Spider-Man and really connect with him a lot and Into the Spider-Verse just opens the floodgates even more so now that I'm looking at this question we're talking about it more it is kind of hard to pick a favorite or like the best Spider-Man out of all of them. Yeah, but it, it's just my opinion. You know, there is no wrong answer. And um, they all kind of, credit has to be due to them, like the amount of people that work on these projects. Oh, like, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's incredible. So to dog any of that accomplishment would, would be a true crime in cinema. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just amazing the feats that they can accomplish and play it on the screen and take all these thousands, hundreds, you know, tens of thousands of people 
away from their world into another world is just magic. It really, I don't know another word to explain it. Beautiful. I think magic is the only word that you can use to describe what happens when all of these like very alchemical parts come together for like literally millions of people to enjoy or sometimes if it's a smaller movie thousands of people it's it's really an accomplishment it's a marvel that that happens no pun intended. yeah yeah no well said really it is something to marvel now we understand the universe and the meaning exactly exactly um to risk another pun where can we find you on the interwebs ah, well you could find us at we have a couple of theaters. We have Kew Garden Cinema in Queens, and that um, is a really cool Art Deco cinema. And when we took over that building, like the Maranek, we found like treasures in the walls. So they're excavated on, on display. And Cobble Hill Cinema, that's in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. Williamsburg Cinema on the corner of Grand and Driggs in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And now Mamaronek at 243 Mamaronek Avenue. At any of these places, you could experience cinema magic. It's beautiful. Come and just the best part of cinema going is also part is cinema culture. So watch the film. Talk to the person, not during the movie, but after the show. Strike up conversation and get <laughs> someone else's perspective on it. Because seat that you sat in, you watched the movie a certain way. The person next to you, even though the same movie was playing, experienced the film completely different. It's good to hear from one another and build community based off them. Here, here, sir. Here, here. I think that's like one of my favorite call to actions we have ever provided our listeners here because I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Thank you, Noah, so much. And I am so, so, so pumped next time I'm home in Mimarinic to go check out a film at the place I grew up watching films. So thank you guys for reviving that beautiful, beautiful theater. And thank you for taking your time with me to talk about Spider-Man today. I appreciate this it. This is such a pleasure. And I hope to be there and serve you popcorn. It's going to be a great way to introduce <laughs> each other face to face. And that's all, folks, for today. Thanks again for tuning in. And, of course, a huge thanks to Noah at Mamaronek Cinemas for stopping by the show. Be sure to stop by any of the wonderful theaters in their family, which are Mamaronek Cinemas, Cobble Hill Cinemas, Kew Garden Cinemas, or Williamsburg Cinemas. They're all really just beautiful, well-worn theaters that screen a lot of great films. So if you're in the New York area, definitely check any of those theaters out. And next week... For our penultimate episode of the season, fancy SAT word right there, we are going to go full Marvel and full DC as we take a look at the heavyweight champions of each, which are, of course, Avengers Endgame and Justice League. So get lots of snacks, go to the bathroom, because these are long movies, so (laughs) it's going to be a long and maybe slightly bumpy but very enjoyable ride for that episode. But until then, stay safe and keep watching movies. See you next time. Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Mariano Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. 
The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl presses play. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.